Well, since man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 1. So here then, the word of the Lord from 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will for the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy, clearly recalling your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois, then in your mother Eunice, and that I'm convinced is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher. And that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, because I know the one I have believed in, and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who lives in us that good thing entrusted to you. This you know. All those in Asia have turned away from me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant that he obtained mercy from him on that day. And you know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us the book of 2 Timothy. Thank you for your word, which gives life to the dead. Turn our eyes from looking at vain and empty things and give us life in your ways. Open our eyes to see wonderful things here in your word. Incline and move our hearts toward your testimonies and not toward material gain. Unite our hearts and unite our focus to fear your name and satisfy us this morning with your covenant love that is purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Satisfy us this morning with that great love, that great cross-displaying love, that we might rejoice, like Jim told us, that the joy of the Lord would be our strength, that we might rejoice and be glad all of our days, even in our days of suffering and hardship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God has entrusted a gospel ministry 
to his people, to Christians, and that's us. It has been committed to us by the Christians who have gone before us. You probably can remember who shared the gospel with you or the different people in your life that helped you believe in Jesus, that taught you the word of God, that helped you grow as a Christian. What they have done was entrust and commit to you the gospel ministry that you might commit it to future generations and to to other people. You have been entrusted with this gospel message. It has been nurtured in your life. And in 2 Timothy 2.2, it says that we're to entrust this to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is what the Great Commission is. Making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Sharing the gospel with someone who will take the gospel to someone else, who will take it to someone else, who will take it to someone else. And this is going to keep happening until Christ comes again and brings in the new heavens and the new earth. God will be sending you from this church soon enough. You'll either pass away like we, we, like we sang, you know, we're going to fight life's final war with pain and we'll be going from this church through death or transferring to another church if we're faithful to the Lord. And you will either be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ making disciples all the way to the end of your life or you'll be one who claims to be a Christian but is ashamed of Jesus and his word and chooses the easier, more convenient, people-pleasing path. That's the fork in the road before us this morning. I want to call you to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, who makes disciples, who makes disciples as part of this local church, as long as God has us here. And Paul had a similar vision and desire for Timothy here. This is Paul's last letter before he dies. He wrote 13 letters that we know of in the New Testament, and this is his last one. And so I want to preach this in the next two weeks, 2 Timothy 1 this morning, 2 Timothy 2 tonight, 2 Timothy 3 next Sunday morning, 2 Timothy 4 next Sunday night. So we will get the whole book of 2 Timothy in two Sundays in four messages. God wants to encourage us to take the gospel trust and entrust it to future generations. Look at verse 8. Here's the main command and here's the main point. Look at verse 8. It says this. So don't be ashamed... Don't be ashamed. There's a command. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel. Relying on the power of God. So here's the way I'm summarizing the main command of this text and the main point for us this morning. Don't shrink in shame, but share in pain. Okay, do not shrink in shame but share in pain. Those are your only two choices. Shrink in shame or share in pain. And you got to choose between the two. And I think verse 8 is telling you, very clearly, God is telling you, don't shrink in shame, but share in the pain of gospel ministry. I, I hope you believe in the gospel enough to share in the pain. We sang 410, it is well With my soul, we sang 407, because he lives. And here in 407, it says this. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still the calm assurance this child can face in certain days because he lives. Do you believe that? It's scary to have newborn babies born into this world. Because you don't know what this world is going to do, right? 
You don't realize how much a control freak you are until you have children, right? Then you want to you control and shelter them from everything. You wish you could control the world all of a sudden because you want to protect your children. And this song is saying that because Jesus lives, we have a calm assurance that the child can face uncertain days because I know he lives. Now, I don't want you to hear that as an American here living in the United States of America. I want you to hear this as a global Christian this morning. So let me read to you about a single mom who I hope she can sing this song as well. This is from the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. This is a prayer request this week posted. Please pray for the family and friends of a South Asian man who was martyred this month for his faith. This is in South Asia. They don't want to say the country because it's sensitive in terms of our missionaries out there. A South Asian man was martyred last month in July for his faith, leaving behind a wife and three children. So it's telling you to pray and ask that many will hear about his Lord and how he offers eternal hope and peace. I wonder if this single mom can, sh- can sing this song. I don't know how old the children are. What if they have a, a newborn baby? Can she sing this child can face in certain days without his dad? Because Jesus lives. Can, can this child share in the pain? They're going to grow up without a, without a father, an earthly father. Can this child share in the pain of gospel ministry? Does Jesus really live? And does that really make a difference for a, a, a son growing up without a father? Because he was killed by persecutors. That's what Paul's getting at here. Paul's writing from jail. This is not, now we do have a little bit of persecution here in America. It's not a lot compared to the rest of the world. There is opposition here, but there is persecution around the world. And Paul is in that kind of world. He's writing from jail. He's cold in jail writing this this letter. And he's telling Timothy, Timothy, don't shrink back in fear and in shame, but share in the pain of gospel ministry because life is hard. And so Paul gives us here three keys to sharing in the pain. Let's, let's look at verse 8 one more time just to get the, the main command and then we'll, we'll think about it. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. That's, don't, be, don't, shrink and sh- don't be ashamed of the gospel. The testimony about Jesus, the Lord, or of me as prisoner. Don't even be ashamed of fellow prisoners who are in jail. Don't shrink in shame. Identify with them. Identify with Christians who are being mocked. Don't say, oh, that's those kind of Christians, not, not me. Don't be ashamed of the prisoners. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, not on your own power, but on whose power should you rely in verse 8? Relying on the power of God. I hope you know that resurrection power and can lean on it this morning. So, there are three keys in this text, in this chapter, to obeying this command with joy. Number one, don't, uh, don't shrink in shame, but share in the pain by keeping the gift of God ablaze. That's in verse 6. Look at verse 6. And it's there in your notes. If you have, look at verse 6. Therefore, here's the main command of the chapter. Or actually, verse 8 is the main command. But here's a, another important command, a key to it. Verse 6 says, Therefore, I remind you to what? What does your translation say? To what? Stir up the gift. Fan the flame. Keep ablaze. Keep on fire the gift of God that is in you through the laying out of my hands. How are you going to not shrink in shame for Jesus, but share in the pain of suffering as a Christian? You're going to do it by keeping the gift that God has given you aflame. Keep it on fire. Keep it ablaze. Now, what is this gift 
that you're supposed to keep a blaze and keep a flame. Some say that we can't know what the gift is because it's not mentioned directly. Others say it's verse 7. What was given to you? Look at verse 7. What's the gift given to you in verse 7? For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but a spirit of what? Power, love, and sound judgment, sound mind, self-control, sensibility, sound judgment. In other words, we don't have a spirit of fearfulness. Here's persecution coming at you, and we we, we were not given a spirit of fearfulness. We were given a spirit of boldness. To love those who persecute us. To love those who slander us. To love those who attack us. Love, power, sound judgment. So, one way you're going to keep from shrinking in shame is by fanning into flame this spirit of love. Now, the spirit of love, you can't do that individually. The spirit of love is going to push you to love who? People. And you know what people are? Sinners. Which means when you love people sacrificially, you're going to get hurt. You will be sinned against. By Christians and by non-Christians. And yet God has not given you a choice. You can't shrink back in fear. You can shrink back in, well you can. You can shrink back in fear and selfishness. I'm not going to love people. I'm not going to open up my heart. I'm not going to open up my life to people. Because they're going to hurt me. So I'm fearful. So I'm going to shrink back. And not love them in the name of Jesus. Or, I'm going to share in the pain. Because I have a, a spirit of power. Love and sound judgment. And just like my, my Lord laid his life down, I'm going to lay my life down on the path of loving other people, even if they're mad at me. So here's the gift. It's a spirit of love, power, and sound judgment that pushes you into gospel ministry. So I want to say the gift is a spirit of love, a spirit of power that pushes you into, into gospelizing non-Christians and even gospelizing Christians. That's the gift that God has given you. And you need to do what with this gift? Fan it into what? Flame. Keep it on fire. Keep it ablaze. Stir it up. Don't let the fire go out. Right? Don't let it go out because of your fear. Timothy, don't do it. First Southern Baptist Church of Bellflower, don't do it. That's the gift. Now, in 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul says, Don't neglect the gift that is in you, Timothy. It was given to you through prophecy, the laying on of hands by the council of elders. So Timothy was given a gift of gospel ministry as a pastor. Now, you're not a pastor. Most of you, I'm looking out here, none of you are pastors of a local church. But does this apply to you? Have you been given a spirit of love, power, and sound judgment? Yes. Do you have the Holy Spirit living in you? Have you been given a gospel ministry? Yes. You are. We are all called, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. But read on in that passage. It says that imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 11, 1. And the way you imitate them is by loving others, whether Jew, those under the law, those outside of the law, even to the weak in the church, you sacrifice yourself for the final salvation of the many. In other words, to do everything for the glory of God is to do everything to share the gospel with Christians and non-Christians so that they make it all the way to the end. That's your ministry. That's a ministry for every Christian, the Corinthian church, not just Timothy and pastors. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says that the job of a pastor and a teacher is to do what? Equip the who for the work of ministry. Equip the saints. Who are the saints? You are the saints. You have the work of the ministry. You're saying, PJ, I don't have a ministry. I'm not a pastor. Yes, you do. You have a family. 
You have neighbors. You have co-workers. You have fellow students in school. You have friends that you've, that you've gathered along the way. And you have a responsibility to gospelize them. That is your ministry. And my job is to equip you to do your ministry. And then I also have that ministry with my neighbors as well. And so we have been given this gift of ministry. We've been given gifts by the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. We are told that we have gifts given by the Holy Spirit for building up the body of Christ. In Colossians 4.17, Archippus has a ministry. He's just a normal church guy. So we have the gospel ministry. Now, what is ministry? Ministry is not setting up chairs. Not that it's not bad. I mean, that's good. Ministry is not paying attention to structures. You know, we have a sign-up sheet to volunteer for this potluck. Is it ministry to bring food? Yes, it is. But why is that ministry? Let me read to you what, what uh, Tony Payne and Colin Marshall say what ministry is. This is, what they, this is how they define ministry. Christian ministry is not very complicated. It is simply making and nurturing genuine followers of the Lord Jesus Christ through prayerful, spirit-backed proclamation of the Word of God. Gospelizing. It's disciple-making. That's what ministry is. It's taking Christians and non-Christians and bringing them the Word of God in a spirit of prayer. That's ministry. So is bringing food to a potluck ministry? Yes. Why? Well, yes if. If what? If when we get together... We're sharing life and having conversations around the table where we're massaging the word of God deeper into our lives with a prayerful spirit. But if we gather together to eat and there is no prayerful spirit, there is no ministry of the word. That doesn't mean you have to quote Bible verses and have a Bible study, but just casual conversation. You're sharing what God's been teaching you lately. That's where ministry happens. In Christianity today, a lot of people think ministry is having an official office, an official role, an official committee. Not true. Christian ministry is you taking the word of God in a spirit of prayer to people around you, Christian and non-Christian. In other words, who's, who's a minister? Who? All of us are ministers. All of us are ministers and all of us are called to the ministry. And you need to keep this gift on fire. Keep it aflame. How do you do it? How do you keep this aflame? Well, you either use it or lose it. Use it or lose it. If you're not using the gospel... To gospelize other people, you're growing weaker in the gospel. You're growing weaker in gospel ministry. You don't stay stagnant. It's like running on a treadmill. You can stand still, but you're not going to stay still. Right? You're going to go backwards. That's how it is with gospel ministry. You don't use it to gospelize people, you'll lose it. The picture Paul here has is of the flame getting smaller and smaller in danger of going out. And he wants you to keep it aflame and keep it ablaze. So may the gospel spread through our church as we do the great commission of sharing the gospel. This is habitual engagement. It's not to do it once in a while. You know how our lives are, and I would just confess my life is similar. We share the gospel maybe once a month or once every six months, and it is exciting. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for every single chance we get to share the gospel. But you know what our prayer should be for our church family? That gospelizing non-Christians is a regular thing. It's not a hiccup in your life every six months where you, you, you got to share the gospel with a non-Christian, where it's just normal. Maybe it's not a full gospel presentation, but you're regularly talking about Jesus to other people, Christians and non-Christians. That needs to be a regular pattern 
if we're going to keep the gift ablaze. If you don't exercise a muscle regularly, it, it begins to what? Atrophy, right? It begins to atrophy, and so does grace in your life. If you don't exercise it in gospelizing, it will grow weaker. So you need to keep this gift ablaze. Now, why should you keep it ablaze? In verses 3 and 4, look at verses 3 and 4. Paul reminds Timothy in verse 4, or verse 5, he reminds them of his heritage. You learned the gospel from who? Who did Timothy learn the gospel from? His what? Grandmother and mother. Okay? Gospel ministry is not only for men. Notice his dad. I don't know what happened to his dad. Was, his, was he in a single mother home? I don't know. But the mother is the one who transferred the gospel to him. And the grandmother. Why should you share in the pain of suffering and keep the gift ablaze? Because it was t- given to you from your grandma. That doesn't mean it's hereditary, right? We're not saying you're born with gospel ministry. You're born again with gospel ministry. Right? Just because you grow up in a Christian home doesn't mean you're a Christian. But once you become a Christian, because your parents nurture you and teach you the gospel again and again, now you're given the gospel ministry. So, so Timothy, keep this gift ablaze because it's your heritage. Also keep it ablaze because you have deep gospel friendships. In verses 3 and 4, you see that Paul and Timothy have a deep friendship. And then you also keep this gift ablaze because it's a gift. It's a gift given by God. Do you remember the story that Jesus tells in Matthew 25, verse 21? You don't have to turn there. But he tells the parable of the talents. Some was given five, one man was given five talents. Another man was given was it um, two talents. And another one was given one talent. And they're go to, going to use it. The master goes away. He comes back. The, the man with five talents makes five more. The man with two talents made two more. The man with one talent buried it because he didn't want to lose it. And the master said to the other two, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. He tells this, he tells this one over here, you evil, lazy slave. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And when I returned, I would have received my money back with interest. So then he says, take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. And then verse 29 says, for to everyone who has, more will be given. That's gospel ministry. Everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have more than enough. But the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you don't use the gospel gift given to you, you lose it. Use it. Don't lose it. God gave you His Holy Spirit to do this. Verse 7 tells us, right? We've been given a spirit of, not of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. The Holy Spirit is in us, causing us to love others. The fruit of the Spirit, what's the first on the list? The fruit of the Spirit is love, right? Love. Love, joy, peace. Love is the first one. It pushes you out to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do you even know the names of your neighbors? Do you know what they did last week? You know how they're doing? How you can pray for them? Any needs you can meet or the church family can help you to meet for them? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So don't shrink in shame, but share in the pain of gospel ministry because you need to fan this into flame. Secondly, look at verses 8 through 12. Share in the pain by remembering God's gifts. There's more gifts. Look at verse 9. So verse 8 says, share in suffering for the gospel. And then look at verse 9. What does verse 9 say? Oh wait, I'm sorry. Before we go to verse 9. 
Why are we not to shrink in shame? Go back to verse 8. Don't be ashamed. Why should you not be ashamed of Jesus? I'll tell you why. Mark 8.38, Jesus tells us why. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Why should you not be ashamed of Jesus? Because if you're ashamed of Jesus on judgment day, he will what? Be ashamed of you. Mark 8.38. So what should we do? Share in the pain. Jesus tells us right in Mark 8, and we're going to get there, by the way. We are in Mark 8 in our study in Mark, which we'll resume in a few weeks. But Mark 8, 34, Jesus says, If anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. In other words, share in the pain. Taking up, in your, taking up your cross is painful. For this single mom in South Asia, it means raising three kids. For Jesus, with a deceased husband, because he spoke up for Christ. That's what it means to share in the pain and take up her cross. So Jesus told us the same thing Paul is telling us here, to share in the pain. Now why? Well, one, we already learned the Spirit in verses 6 and 7, but also because God saved us. Look at verse 9. These are sweet verses here in verses 9 and 10. What does verse 9 say? It tells us what the power of God is. He has saved us. Who saved us? God saved us, right? Jesus saved us. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. Now, when when it says he saved us, what did he save us from? Hell. What else? Sin. The wages of sin is? Death. So eternal death, which is hell and the lake of fire. That is the second death. Who did God save us from? Satan is a good guess. But someone bigger than Satan. Who did God save us from? Himself. God saves us from God. Who punishes sins? Who's the final judge? God. Satan's not punishing anyone in hell. He's going to be punished in hell too. God punishes sins because God is righteous and God is just and God is holy. And so God saves us from God. In his grace. So it says here, he has saved us from our sins. He saved us from himself. And this is according to what? According to our works? Is this according to what we've done? According to your religion? According to your church membership and your faithful Christianity? According to my pastoral ministry? No, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. It's not religion that saves. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, thank you for coming this morning. If you're not a Christian, God has a word for you this morning. And his word is this. You cannot do enough good to become a Christian. You can't do enough good to be saved. There is no safety in what you do. You can come to this church all the way until you die. You can even join this church. Now, we're going to, we believe in regenerate church membership. We only take in those who understand the gospel. But you can join a church and not be saved. It's not according to your works. You can be a preacher. You can preach sermons week after week, twice on Sundays, twice on Wednesdays, and not be saved. Because God doesn't save you according to your works. Or to put it another way, you cannot save yourself. So if you're not a Christian, this is not our message. You might think Christianity, the devil likes to trick people. He likes non-Christians to think Christianity is saying, get religious, then you can be saved. Fix yourself first, then you can be forgiven. Wrong. You're not saved according to your works. God sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to die for your sins and rise from the dead. 
So that if you trust in Him and His works, His life, His death, His resurrection, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So call on Him to save you. Turn from your sins in repentance. Trust Jesus and entrust your life to Jesus and you will be saved. Stop trying to fix yourself. You're running a fool's errand and you're running on the devil's treadmill. And you'll never get to the end because there is no end on that treadmill. God will save you if you just give yourself up and give up and trust in Jesus Christ. Now he calls us, he calls us to salvation according to what? In verse, if it's not according to our works, what is it according to in verse 9? According to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus when? Before time began. Wow. God called us before we existed. He saved us before we existed. Wow. This is God's choosing of us. Now, does this mean we don't have a choice? Does this mean we don't have to believe in Jesus because he's just going to choose us and we're just going to be saved without faith? No. We still have to turn from our sins and trust in Jesus, right? That's not a debate. That's, that's, that's biblical. But that's not what the, this text isn't talking about that reality. This text is talking about the fact that God has purposed in his grace to save you before time began. In other words, he purposed to give us salvation from our sin and salvation from judgment and salvation to gospel ministry before he said, let there be light. Before there were dinosaurs. Before he even made time. Before time even existed. Before there was something called the beginning. Before time began, he called us. He saved us. He decided to, 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 to bring us into this Trinitarian celebration of celebrating the love and joy and glory of God forever and ever. In the new heavens and the new earth, after Jesus returns, he chose to save us before time began. And not only that, he chose to give us a gospel ministry that you would have a life of sharing the gospel with everyone. And we would shrink back in shame. We would shun sharing in the suffering of Jesus when this was a gift presented to us and given to us before time began. Brothers and sisters, we must not shrink back in shame. We must share in the pain of loving our neighbors and sharing the gospel and calling everyone to trust in Jesus and turn from their sins. We have good news, don't we? We have good news for non-Christians. We must not withhold it. We must share it even in the pain of being rejected and mocked. Now, Paul gives us some reasons here in verses 11 and 12 why we need to share in the pain. More reasons. It's from his own example. Paul was appointed as a herald, apostle, and teacher, it says in verse 11. And that's why Paul does what in verse 12? Because he's appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, he what? He suffers. Why should you suffer? Why should you share in the pain of gospel ministry? Because you're appointed to be a gospelizer and disciple maker yourself. And then he says in verse 12, But I'm not ashamed because I know the one I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Paul knows that God will guard him and guard the gospel even as Paul suffers. You know Paul knew he was going to suffer before he started suffering? 
God said, I will show this man how much he will suffer for my name. In Acts chapter 20, verses 22 and 24, the elders of Ephesus are trying to tell Paul, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. If you go there, they're going to bound you in chains and they're going to arrest you. Don't go, brother. Please, we love you. Don't go. And you know what Paul says? I'm on my way to Jerusalem, bound in my spirit. I don't know what I'm going to encounter there, except that in town after town, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. So Paul says, Am I go- is he going to go or not go? I'm going. God told me, chains await me. Prison awaits me. Verse 24 of Acts 20, Paul says, But I count my life of no value to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of God's grace. You have a course too. Are you going to finish your course? Even if it means suffering? Even if it means mockery, even if it means slander, even if it means opposition, even if it means hostility, are you going to go forward in your course because you know God has called you to testify of the gospel of God's grace? Paul suffered and he calls us to share in that pain. Okay, so don't shrink in shame, but share in the pain because God gave us a gospel ministry. That's number one. Secondly, share in the pain. Why? Because he saved us and he called us before time began to this course of gospel ministry. And the third reason or the third way we're not going to share, we're not going to shrink in shame, but share in the pain is by grabbing and guarding the gospel. You need to grab the gospel and you need to guard the gospel. That's verses 13 and 14. Do you see grab in verse 13? It says, hold on to what? to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So grab onto the pattern of sound teaching. Where are we going to get sound teaching from? From the pulpit? Hopefully, but not necessarily. Where are we going to know for sure that we're getting sound teaching? From, in the Word, right? From, the, from this Bible. I love reading the Bible. You know why? This is the only book you can read where you can kind of take your antennas down. Your radar, Right? Every time I'm reading another book or hearing another sermon, you've got to keep your attention up, your discernment up, because you don't know if they're teaching the truth. You've got to test what you hear, right? Every time I preach here on Sunday, I'm trying to show you from the text, because you have to test my words. Is it what this is really saying? Or is it not? But Paul says, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching, the apostles' teaching of the New Testament, the prophets' teaching of the Old Testament. Hold on to it, grab it, and don't let it go. The sound teaching focused on who? Jesus Christ and his cross. That's the center of the Bible. You know, in one of the things I'm teaching my kids to memorize doctrine, I I tell them, one of the questions is, what do the scriptures mainly teach? And they say, the scriptures mainly teach Jesus Christ, including what what man is to believe about God and what duty God requires of man. That's what our children are learning on Wednesday nights here. That's invitation for Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study. If you want your kids to learn um, basic biblical Baptist doctrine, come on, on, on Wednesday nights and we'll teach them this, these, these things. But this is the point. What do the scriptures mainly teach? Jesus Christ, including what man is to believe about God and what, God, what duty God requires of man. So hold on to what the Bible teaches. Now, how are we supposed to read? Look at verse 13. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I like that last part. This sound teaching is in the what? In the faith. And what's that next word? In the what? Love that is in Christ Jesus. I like that. You know why? A lot of people want to pit doctrine against love. 
Why are you so doctrinal? So much theology. Why don't you be more loving? That's a false dichotomy. Don't divide what God has put together. What does he say? Hold on to the sound teaching, doctrine, theology. Hold on to it in love. In the love that is in Christ Jesus. Sound doctrine is to love people. We don't love people when we don't tell them the truth. We're being selfish at that point. Now, we can have sound doctrine and be abrasive. Let's not, let's not mistake that. We can be jerks, right? We can be. And if you're not a Christian, I want to apologize. I mean, I know I've been a jerk to Christians and non-Christians in the past, even Christians, in terms of doctrine and theology. I want to, I want to hold on, but I want to hold on in the love that is in Christ Jesus. But it's still sound doctrine. You know, one of our pastors in our Los Angeles Southern Baptist Association who we kicked out of the association or removed from the association last year now, I think. Danny Cortez, he's there in La Mirada. I, you know, he has a sermon that was posted. He was at the Gay Christian Network Conference in January. And so I was listening to that sermon because I've met with him face-to-face, um, trying to call him back uh, to no avail. But here's what he said in that sermon, and this is online. He says this, it wasn't about trying to prove side A or side B. It's not about sound teaching. It's not about trying to prove side A or side B. It's about learning how to be like Christ, learning how to love well. You hear that false dichotomy? It's not about what's side A or side B. It's about learning to love well, to be like Christ, because Christ wasn't about the, the right side. And then he says, my prayer in this sermon, my prayer is that all of us would reevaluate our understanding of Scripture, because he's obviously for homosexuality being permissible in the Bible, monogamous homosexuality. So he says, my prayer is that all of us would reevaluate our understanding of scripture and be moved by compassion because compassion is what gives us clarity by the grace of God. We will show the world what Christ looks like, not by our theology, but by our love. And I want to say that's dead wrong. We will show Christ to the world by our our theology in the love of Jesus Christ. We will show the world who Christ is by our sound teaching in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. We will love our neighbors. We will face mockery. We will risk being ridiculed on the path of love for them. We will share in the pain of gospel ministry because we love them even when they don't see it as loving. And we will ask them for forgiveness when we move away from doing it in love and being more of a jerk about it and being impatient because all of us still struggle with sin, don't we? But that's the point here, is you need to hold on, grab sound teaching in love. It's not either or, it's both and. Not only that, look at verse 14, which is the last part of our commands here. Guard through the Holy Spirit who lives in us the good thing entrusted to you. So guard it. Not only do you grab it, you protect it. You fight for it. That's what I'm doing right now, at least in part with that, with mentioning Danny Cortez by name and his teaching, is I'm trying to guard the gospel and sound teaching from false teaching. And that's what you need to do. Not every preacher is telling the truth. Now, I don't want us to be headhunters, you know, witch hunters and going on a witch hunt, but, you know, there are so many that are on TV in the Christian bookstores that are not teaching 
Jesus Christ and the gospel. Some of you who might have been coming to this church for the last few months, you start, you might start realizing as we're going through the gospel of Mark, this sounds a little bit different than what I'm hearing elsewhere. And you might start to compare things and think, you know, what, what's going on out there? Not all teaching is sound teaching. And we need to guard the gospel. We need to tell the gospel regularly and guard it from false teaching. How do we guard it? We guard it by sharing it. We guard it by pointing it out. We guard it by saying it. Do you know what the gospel is? Can you say the gospel in 60 seconds? Can we get a microphone here? No, I'm just kidding. Oh. Any volunteers here want to share the gospel in, in 60 seconds? You know, the gospel, actually, maybe, does anyone want to do that? Anyone here want to, anyone confident enough to share the gospel in 60 seconds? No? Any volunteers? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Good. Anything else? Anything else want to add to that? Justin, I see you thinking about it. Okay. Here, here's the gospel. God made us and loves us. And he made us in his image to fellowship with him. That's God. We are made in his image, but we have rebelled against him. We're sinners. And the penalty of sin is death. That's not good news yet. Here's the good news. God sent his son Jesus to live a life that we should have lived in perfection. He died on the cross for our sins and he rose again from the dead. That's the gospel. The gospel is really Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. The first two parts, God and man, is just to understand what Jesus did. And then going to Steve's thing, now how do you receive what Jesus did? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent from your sins, trust in Jesus, and you will be saved. That's the gospel we guard. Simple, right? A child can understand it. And yet, it's so confused. I mean, it's so, so many people are confused in our world today about what the gospel is. But we must guard it. And, and how must we guard it? Verse 14. Guard it through who? Look at verse 14. Guard it through who? Through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. God gave us his Holy Spirit to lead us in guarding the gospel. And then he gives us a picture. Look at verse 15. Here's a picture of those who did not guard the gospel. They didn't grab it. Look at verse 15. This you know, all those in Asia have what? Deserted me. Did they grab the gospel and guard it and share in the pain? No, they shrunk back in the shame. They all abandoned me. That's crazy to think about. They all turn away from me, and then he and then he says, including who? Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now, this is their only mention in the whole Bible. How sad of a legacy, right? To be, oh, you know, don't name your child Phygelus if you're going to have children, right? Francis and I, note to self, don't name them Hermogenes. Sorry if you know anyone who's named either of those. But, you know, they turn away from Paul. They turn away from God. They shrunk back in shame. And then there's a good example in verses 16 to 18. We have a good example of someone who did not shrink back in shame, but shared in the pain. Who is it? May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Why? What did he do to Paul? He refreshed Paul in verse 16 and was not ashamed of his chains. He wasn't ashamed of the prisoner. Instead, what did he do in verse 17? When he was in Rome, what did he do? He sought him out. Now, imagine how do you do that? There's no cell phones. You can't text him. You can't look him up online. If you want to find Paul, what do you have to do? Ask people. When you start asking people, who are you identifying with? With Paul, right? And whatever his message was, which is basically Jesus. So if Paul's a prisoner in Rome and you're saying, do you know where Paul is? Excuse me, do you know where Paul is? Excuse me, do you know where Paul is? I'm looking for a man named Paul, my friend. You're identifying with him. You're not shrinking back in the shame of saying, oh, I can't let anyone know I'm Paul's friend because then they're going to know I identify with Jesus. No, Anessa Forrest didn't care. Where is he? My friend. 
I need to refresh him. I need to serve him. I need to minister to him because his Lord is my Lord. You see that? He was sharing in the shame. He was sharing in the pain of being shamed. Instead of shrinking back. Look at verse 18. May the Lord grant that he obtain mercy from him on that day. And he will. Onesiphorus will celebrate with us because he shared in the pain. And you know very well, Timothy, Paul writes in verse 18, how much he ministered at Ephesus. Onesiphorus was a gospel minister. He ministered to gospel people. He ministered the gospel to non-gospel people. In Ephesus, in Rome, that was the pattern of his life. He fanned into flame the gift of God that was given to him. Timothy, you're supposed to fan that into flame. First Southern Baptist Church of Bellflower, you're supposed to fan that into flame with your neighbors. Bless them. Listen to their stories. Eat with them. Speak the gospel to them. Hang out with them. Get to know them better. Don't shrink back in shame, but share in the pain. Share in the pain of gospel ministry by keeping it aflame and ablaze. Share in the pain of gospel ministry by remembering God's salvation that he's given to you. And share in the pain of gospel ministry by grabbing and guarding the gospel. I close here with a story from persecution.com. It's a prayer request for Shua, who was beaten and robbed in Laos. L-A-O-S. Laos? That's how you say it, right? Laos. Since accepting Christ three years ago, Shua, a poor Camus Christian, has been beaten many times. Most recently, someone in his rural village poisoned his two pigs, his only property of value. All of the people of his village hate him and the 20 other Christians in the village, said a voice of the martyr's partner. Despite his losses, listen to this. Is he going to shrink back in shame? Despite his losses, Shua continues to share the gospel. Three months after losing his pigs, Shua reported that he had led six people to the Lord and four other believers had been baptized. Shua's village is an eight-hour journey from the main road and it's hard for him to fellowship with other believers. Although life in his village is difficult, Shua remains faithful to Christ. We will pray for Shua as we close in prayer. We will pray for ourselves that we will not shrink back in shame, but we will share in the pain of gospel ministry. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for brothers like Onesiphorus, like Paul, like Timothy. Brothers like Shua, who is in Laos right now, sharing in the pain of gospel ministry. Thank you for giving him the gift of salvation. Thank you that he's being bold and and enduring the pain. Thank you that he's not shrinking back in shame. Father, we pray that you would sustain in him a spirit of power, love, and sound judgment. That he would fan into flame and stir up and keep ablaze the gift of God that is given to him. And we pray for us here now, Father, for our church family, for the members of First Southern Baptist Church of Bellflower, and all of our friends here who are Christians and members of other churches. We pray, Father, that today you would fan into flame in our lives. Give us a resolve to guard and grab the gospel. Give us a resolve to remember our salvation. Give us a resolve to share in the pain of suffering by fanning into flame this gift, Lord. Thank you for saving us. 
We pray that we would have specific neighbors and family members and members of this church on our mind that we want to gospelize, even if it means ridicule and opposition. We love you, Father. And you've given us a spirit of love to love our neighbors as we love ourselves and to love one another as Christ has loved us. So help us, push us, and strengthen us and uphold us to love others well, even in the pain of gospel ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.